0: with me. Alright, if you got your Bibles, I want to invite you to jump to Mark chapter 14. That's where we're going to be today. Uh, this is part three of a series called Holy Moments where we are looking at uh, the ordinary moments in the last week of Jesus' life and how he took those and turned them into holy moments. And today is going to be a little bit of an interesting text and it's going to be a little teachy uh, for some of it, but uh, my hope is that we'll be able to kind of get a glimpse of it and then from there Um, just put some practical application uh, with it all but I want you guys to um, say this with me all right you ready not ashamed ashamed. all right y'all can do better than that not ashamed ashamed. there we go one more time not ashamed ashamed. if I did this in like a monk voice would you guys not ashamed like with like chanting would you don't do it okay Um, Romans 1.16, the Apostle Paul writes, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I want to propose a question for all of us this morning, is are you ashamed or are you not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ? A a few weeks ago, Judah had an opportunity to go down to the city with me, and we get done in Brooklyn, and we jump on, or we take the D train, and we're going to take the two train, back to Penn Station, um, and we get to the Atlantic uh, Barclays Center uh, Terminal, if you want to call it. If you've ever been there, you may know what I'm talking about. It's, it's the largest subway terminal um, in Brooklyn, and uh, so there's like eight different lines that connect, plus the LIRR, and um, we're, we're walking from where the D train track is to the 2 train track, and uh, I'm walking with my son, and we're just casually walking, and I hear this person in uh, the side of the subway doing something like this. And I think you'll know what I'm talking about in just a moment. Repent! Repent! God wants you to repent of your sins. He died and his blood was poured for your mercy and for your sins. All you got to do is turn to Jesus. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Do you ever experience that? Some of y'all, okay? Uh, if not, just go down to Washington and Lark. That corner, we used to see it all the time, all right? Um, and, and so what happens is uh, I grab my son's hand and I put my head down and I just start speed walking. I'm just like, you know, just walking. And, and Judas's like, hey, dad, um, that's a preacher. And I'm like, yeah, put your head down. Let's keep going, right? Uh, and then he goes, dad. That's that's a preacher like you. And I'm like, oh, thanks, buddy, you know. <laughs> and so I'm like, eh, kind of, we'll talk about it in just a minute, you know. like, and, and so I put my head down. We go past the dude, and, and I'm, I'm you know, I, here's the thing. I 100% agree with everything that he said, all right. I just don't agree with the method. Different talk, different day. I'm not going to get into all the theology on that, all right. But um, so we get on the two subway, and I sit down. And uh, we're, we're sitting there, and he goes, Dad, could you not, were you ashamed of that guy? And I was like, oh, oh. Don't you just love it whenever a seven-year-old like just hits you with a deep theological question that you know he's right, and you don't want to answer that question? And I, I say that because there is nothing wrong with what this dude was doing. Maybe the approach or the method was different, but at that particular moment, I was ashamed to be a brother in Christ with this person. And I put my head down and I started power walking. And, and I think that for many of us, maybe not that particular moment, there are moments in our lives where we are ashamed of the gospel. Uh, Tim Keller recently did an interview Uh, with Kerry Newhoff, and if you don't know who Tim Keller is, he was the former pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church down in the city. He is a theological genius, and uh, he also started what's called the City to City Movement, which is a church planning movement that started in New York City and has really just expanded to the globe. But in the um, interview, he was talking about the rise and the fall of Christian evangelicalism and the state of the church here, uh, not only in America, but also in the world. And one of the things he said is that uh, particularly in the Western world, not just North America or America, but the entire Western hemisphere, what has happened is the church has started to embrace cultural and social, social norms and take out the orthodoxy of the Christian doctrine and replace it uh, with with or for the idea of just um, inclusion of everyone. And I do believe that, that the gospel is an inclusive, but also exclusive. We're not going to get into that now, and we can talk about that in a little bit. But one of the stats that he ended up saying is, is that the Episcopal Church got away... From biblical doctrine on many, many, many issues, and started embracing a social doctrine and started to take out core sacraments and tenets of the faith and replace it with things that were socially acceptable. And what he was saying about that is as they started to embrace the society and the cultural norms as their new doctrine, the church started to shrink in size, especially in America. And today, in the Episcopal Church, they average 1.7 million people in their average Sunday attendance, which is drastically down from where it was just two decades ago. But then he also drew a comparison with the Anglican Church. And, And not the Church of England, I'm talking about the Global Anglican Church. And the Global Anglican Church has adhered to orthodoxy or Christian doctrine. And simply what that means is, they're adhering to the Bible, this thing that we, we submit our lives to, and the Anglican church today sees on average around 27 million people and is still growing despite the pressure that it's getting to cave to the social changes. My, my point is this, Jesus invites all of us to embrace a gospel of simplicity, to embrace a gospel of that is very clear, to embrace a gospel that is um, sometimes offensive, but to also embrace it through the lens and through the eyes of loving your neighbor as yourself. And then he invites us to embrace this gospel, which we call the good news, and to be bold with our faith, to not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, And if we could just Look at the current state of the church in America. And I believe that the church has got a beautiful future. But the more and more and more we take the simplicity of the gospel and we water it down, the more and more and more we get away from the holiness of God. The more and more we get away from what it is that God wants to do in us and through us. And, And here's the thing. I am convinced that if someone says, I reject the church and I hate God, it's because they've never heard the true gospel. They've probably heard some um, backwoods legalistic bullcrap that has been presented to them as the gospel. Because if you look at the story of God sending his own son to be the propitiation for your faith and for my faith and for the sins of the entire world, and all you have to do is believe, like that's some really good news. There's some freedom that is found in that. There's some love that is found in that, which we're going to get to in just a moment. And so as we dive into this to, to this today, you're going to see Peter, that we know later as the Apostle Peter. And um, Peter has this moment of not being ashamed of Jesus Christ. And it's it's a really passionate moment. It's a really cool moment. And if you know how the story goes, you'll see in two weeks how he actually was ashamed of Jesus. So this is kind of like a prerequisite, excuse me, for that. So Mark chapter 14, picking up in verse 26. And when they had sung a hymn, they went to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, you will all fall away for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I rise up, I will go before you in Galilee. Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. Maybe you've had that moment of an I will not moment to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, truly I tell you, which means this is very important. Like I'm about to tell you the truth, Peter. He says, truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me not once, not twice, but three times. But he says, but he said empathetically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. Now, that's pretty awesome. Like, if I was Jesus, it's like, all right, I got my my 12 or my 11 disciples at this point. We're going down in glory. Like, If I fall on the sword, they're going to fall on the sword. We're going to fight this thing. Like, if you were the king, you would want these type of men in your circle, right? These are the type of people that are like, we're going to stick together. We're going to tough this out. We're going to fight really hard. We're going to believe, and we're going to see God do something awesome. But Jesus, the Son of God, full humanity, but full of deity, turns and says, hey, no, you're not. No, you're not. Like I'm I love your passion, Peter. I mean, you are a man of passion. You're arrogant, you're prideful, um, like many of us. Right? I love your passion. Woohoo! You're gonna fail. Hey, I've got some good news for you today. I'm talking to you, City Church. You're gonna fail. You're gonna fail. Congratulations, right? You've probably fallen already today. If you've yelled at your kids in anger. You woke up in a grumpy mood and just like, I do not want to go to church today, you stupid hour of sleep. You failed. You failed. Looked at something last night that you shouldn't have looked at. You failed. And that's where we're going to end up going with this story here. One thing that I want to point out, um, this isn't a point. I'm going to kind of look at three different sections, and I've got three points to close this out with. Uh, the first thing I want to look at, and I think it's just really, really cool, is verse 26, and when, um, and so they just got done with Passover, the celebration, Jesus is saying, I'm ushering in a new covenant and a new kingdom, and then it says this, and when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. One of the other gospels says, on their way to the Mount of Olives, they sung a hymn, okay? And so what I think is really, really cool is the hymn that they ended up singing, because if you look at Jewish um, if you look at Jewish customs and what would have taken place, this hymn would have been sung directly after the Passover as everyone was was leaving. And for time's sake, I'm not going to read the entire hymn or the entire psalm, but I just want to read some some parts of it because it is foreshadowing what exactly is about to take place. And it's Psalms 118. And Psalms 118 is called the Hillel uh, Psalm, which is short for Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Can we say that? Hallelujah? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. All right. Uh, Which literally means praise. Praise. Like praise. And so they're praising God, and they're praising who this hymn, this psalm, is about. So this is Psalms 118. It's going to start in verse 22. It says, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Who's he talking about right there? Who are they singing about right there? The, the builders rejected the Messiah, but the Messiah is about to become the cornerstone of the church, a cornerstone of the new covenant. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. And I love this one because if you've grown up in church, you've heard this. This is the day that the Lord has made somebody help me Right? This is the day that the Lord has made. Terry, you remember that song? I will rejoice and be glad in it. Rejoice. Anyone know the rest? In the. Okay, all right. Well, y'all, it was 80s music, so just leave it at that, um, which I guess is showing my age now. But this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And I think about that as they're walking to the Mount of Olives for Jesus to pray, which we're going to talk about next week. As they're walking, they're saying, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice in it. But the day that the Lord has made that they are about to rejoice in is going to be one of the darkest days of their life and one of the darkest days for all of humanity. He continues on, the psalmist continues on. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God and has made his light shine upon us. I I think about how beautiful that is, about the light of the world. They're literally singing about the light of the world, and the light of the world is standing in their midst right there. And then he continues on. Bind the festive sacrifice with cords and up with the horns of an altar. In verse 28 and 29. You are my God and I will give thanks to you. You are my God. I will extol you. I think that that's beautiful. I will extol you. I will ascribe to you the glory that is due to your name. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. And this is what I want to say to like Peter and James and John and Thomas and all the other disciples. It's like, did you know who you were singing to? Did you know that as you were singing that and you're walking to the Mount of Olives, you're literally singing about your rabbi, about your rabbi being the the cornerstone, about your rabbi being the light of the world, about your rabbi being this steadfast love, which, again, we're going to camp out on love in just a minute. Uh, did you understand and recognize that you were singing about your rabbi? And, and I honestly, I don't know if they did. I really don't. But how cool of a moment that they were singing a psalm that was thousands of years old. And as they were singing about it, they were with the one who had promised to usher in this new covenant. The second thing you see here is. Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, you will all fall away for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. He's referencing a prophecy in Zechariah 13, verse seven, right there, where literally it says, and the shepherd will be struck and the sheep will scatter. Now, I have never seen the Godfather. Anyone ever seen the Godfather? Yeah, I was like a serious, oh yeah, right there, you know? (laughs) So here the book was better. Um, I've never seen it. I've, I've seen uh, other movies that I'm not going to name because of the amount of profanity that was in them. This was pre Jesus, um, but kind of like The Godfather. I, I just kind of picture this moment right here where Jesus is like, it just happened at the, the Passover table. One of you guys are going to betray me. I can't do that Italian mob voice, all right? I try, like, one of you guys. That's a, I'm just, yeah, I'm just butchering it. All right, don't judge me, all right? But, like, one of you guys are going to betray me. One of y'all are going to try to take me out, and you're all going to scatter away. And, of course, like, and I could just imagine the godfather sitting there, like, some mafia boss sitting there is telling him, like, one of you guys are going to take me out. i do it again. What is wrong with me? One of you guys. one of you guys are going to take me out, right? Like, I'm just imagining this, and very proper. Um, and everyone's like, is it you? Is it you, Johnny? I don't know, Billy, is it you? That's more redneck. Like, Billy is not, yeah, I don't know. Um, but, like, I'm just imagining this, this scene going on. And then you got you got Peter, Peter who's the devout one, right? And what does Peter do? He pipes up and he's like, not I! I will not. Never deny you. I will never leave you. I will never be ashamed of you. I will never turn my back on you. Even if I must die, I will never do this. How often are we, Peter? How often do we do that to Jesus? I will not fall away. How many times have we done that? How many times have we done this in our relationship with God? Where maybe he's moved and he's spoken to us and we've had this emotional moment. Like I can remember going to youth camp, right? And you go to youth camp and they do the altar call for salvation. You get saved for your 17th time and you go up there and you're like pouring your eyes out. it's like, I will never leave you, forsake you, Jesus. You know, you're just having that. Oh, moment. I don't know if that was you, but that was me. And in that moment, you get back up and you get back in school. And next thing you know is, is you're off to doing the things you did before you ever went to youth camp. Let, let's just do this, just by a show of hands. All right, this is church. So we're going to be, can we just have honesty for the, like the next two minutes, all right? There, this is not, no one's going to, I'm look, I'm not going to do an altar call right now. I'm not going to like point anybody out for their, uh, sin or anything like that, but can we just be real for a moment? Can we do that? Three of you, excellent. Fine, that's fine. The rest of you guys, come up to the altar right now. You know, <laughs> it's so good to be back. All right, by a show of hands, how many times have you made a promise to Jesus that you later failed on? How I'm sorry, not how many times. How many of you? Thank you for clarifying that. It's like I. I need two hands and both my feet and that's still not enough, you know. All right, keep your hands up. Go on and keep your hands up. All right. Look around. Look around. You're not alone. All right. So so here's here's the next one. How many, not how many times, how many have made a commitment to Jesus to follow him in all his ways only to later walk away from him? Go ahead, look around. Keep those hands up. All right, you can put them down. How many of you have been in a situation due to peer pressure or cultural norms and Jesus has come up and you've denied that you even know who Jesus is? Denied. Denied, or we could say didn't speak up. That's good. Okay, more hands with that, right? So so, thank you, Andrea. (laughs) I know for me, back in high school, I had just given my life to Christ, and um, I was on fire for Jesus. Man, I just loved him. I was passionate about him. And then we had, and this is how we did it in the South, and I'm not giving any ideas to the teenagers here, okay? And so if you get this idea, you need to go talk to Pastor Jacob, all right? We'll just leave it at that. But we had hotel parties. Anyone ever experienced a hotel party? Three of you. Okay, four of you. Yeah, okay. All right, the rest of you, it's, it's probably good. But what would happen is someone who was older than 21 would rent out two or three hotel rooms and then let a bunch of teenagers go there to party because it was, it was safe. And I was on fire for Jesus, man. I loved Jesus. I was so excited about Jesus. And I went to this particular hotel party, and this girl named Lisa Kim, and I'll never forget, she came up to me and she said, what happened to your relationship with Jesus? And my heart just sank. And I continued on in the debauchery that was taking place that night and woke up the next day with the kindness of God leading me to a place of conviction and repentance. Last question. How many of you guys, I want you to be truly honest about this. How many of you guys have had that spiritual high, that spiritual high, only to leave that place of being spiritually high, where you're encountering the presence of God, the love of God, you've got this revelation of who God is great things are happening in your life. You're crying, or maybe you're not a crier, and you're a and you're just laughing with the joy of the Lord. You're just having this incredible moment with God only a week later to find yourself completely just, where are you, God? And you just walk away. I say this to point out that we're all story all of us are like Peter Peter I'm not ashamed in two weeks we're going to see Peter deny Jesus not once not twice but three times you're going to see all the disciples but one fall away from Jesus these are the men who would later go to transform the world And in their darkest hour, they turn their backs on their savior. They turn their backs on their rabbi. They turn their backs on their heavenly father. And God still used them to transform this world. God still wants to use you to transform this world. He still wants to take your brokenness, your history, your guilt, and your shame. And he wants to take that and he wants to mold it into something beautiful, a broken vessel that could be used for the glory of God. And I'm here, and this is not in my notes, and I'm just being led by the Holy Spirit. You are not too far gone. You are not too broken. You are not too messed up for God and his redemptive love to take your brokenness and to turn what is ashes right now into beauty. He desires to do this. He wants to do this. And sometimes we can look at this text and we can be really excited and passionate. You know, I'm passionate for Jesus, but push comes to shove. We're all gonna have moments in our life where the rubber meets the road, where the friction starts to happen, where the circumstances of life end up coming upon us and we're gonna end up caving. And if that is you today, I'm telling you to get back up. Get back up and jump on the saddle. No pun intended, Colorado wise. Get back up and jump on that saddle and say, Jesus, you're the horse. I'm just sitting up here. We're just going to go wherever your Holy Spirit leads me. And and and, and so listen, I, back to my notes. I, I have three things that I want to share with you real quick. And then we're going to do something. Three ways to help us not be ashamed of the gospel. And the third one I'm going to camp on for just a minute. Three, three ways to help us not be ashamed of the gospel. The first one is this, to have an eternal perspective in front of us, to keep eternity in front of our mind. Like, guys, I, I I'm not trying to be like all doom and gloom, but if we believe the scripture, we believe in eternity. If we believe in eternity, we believe that every person in this world is going to spend eternity somewhere. And it's either heaven or hell. I'm sorry, but the Catholic Church got it wrong. There is no purgatory. It's either heaven or hell. And whenever you see the world through the lens of eternity, it causes you to see people with compassion and grace and mercy. It causes you to see someone who maybe voted differently than you or who lives a different lifestyle than you or who's done things that you never would have done and to see them through the lens of Jesus and recognize that Jesus loves that person. And because of his love for that person, we should love them. We should love the people who've betrayed us. We should love the people who've sinned against us. We should love the people who've hurt us. We should love the people who vote on the different side of the aisle than you. Why? Because they are eternal beings. And they will spend eternity somewhere. The, the second thing is for us to not be ashamed of the gospel. We have to remain faithful in prayer and worship in scripture and I'm gonna just camp on this for, for, for one or two minutes, but um, this is something that I, I, I just can't get away from, and I'm not gonna get away from. It's like we need to be people who desire the presence of God in our lives. Because the more presence of God that we have in our lives, the less we're gonna end up sinning, the less we're gonna end up denying him, the less we're gonna end up stumbling the more presence of God, and and, and my prayer is that you have a hunger for the Holy Spirit like you've never had before. John Tyson, who was, and I'm going to quote him again in just a minute, at at this this retreat, he said something, and and I want to clarify what he, he said of what he meant by this, but he said, the future of the church is a charismatic church. And not charismatic is in flags waving and tongue talking, but a church that is empowered by the Holy Spirit because we can't do it without the Holy Spirit. We can't do it without waking up daily and saying, God, I need you. Spirit of the living God, come inside of me and fill me up. And you know what he means? You know what Jesus promises when we pray those prayers, when we invite the Holy Spirit, is he's going to give you power. He's going to give you power. I saw this clip from Matt Chandler yesterday. Again, I was off in YouTube world. Saw this clip last night. Maybe this was God. And and, and the thing that he was saying about power is too many Christians think that they're third-string Christians. We think that we're not good enough we think that we could never be used we think that we don't we don't have the goods and and he says this you're right you don't have the goods but jesus gives you the power to have the goods jesus gives you his spirit the same spirit that created the stars and the galaxy dwells inside of you And that power, we should be walking in power. And I'm not talking about like just going around and windmill kicking people in the face because we think that they have demons. I'm talking about the power of love and compassion and mercy and self-control and believing what the word of God says that we will lay hands on the sick and they will be healed. That's the power I'm talking about. The power that restores family. The power that mends the broken hearted power that sets the captives free. And then the third thing that we have to do, so number one, is keep eternity in front of us. Number two, remain faithful and we'll just say with his presence in prayer, worship, and scripture. And then the third thing is we have to recognize that our identity is rooted in Christ. Our identity is rooted in Christ. Now, the actual quote from John Tyson that I have in my notes He said this, the advantage that Christians have is we can be who Jesus has created us to be because of the cross. Meaning you don't have to pretend to be somebody else. You don't have to pretend to put on a facade for people. You can simply just step into his love. You can step into his mercy. You can step into his grace. And say, God, God, I need you. And what does he say? He says, abide in me, come to me, and I will come to you. Abide in me, John 15, and I will abide in you, meaning that you and Jesus somehow end up colliding with the power of the Holy Spirit. I don't understand it, but this is a love that is available for you. This is the love that's available for me. This, this is a love that's available for the world out there, we must learn to be delighted in the love of our Heavenly Father above everything else. That you are enough. I want you to just think about that for just a second. You are you've gone through. You know what I realized this past week? I am enough. Thank you. I mean that for real. Thank you. I'm enough. I don't have to do all this stuff. Do I have dreams and visions and aspirations to be able to do that stuff? Yeah. And if I just rest in who God has created, who Jesus has created me to be, nothing else matters. My wife is enough. My kids are enough. My family's freaking awesome. And I love them. And We'll windmill kick the devil. We will. But right now, we're going to enjoy the love of God and the love of each other and the love of our church community. Last thing that I want to say. So those are my three points. I'm wrapping up right here. They finally put the timer up, and now I'm over five minutes. Sorry. Imagine that. Jesus says this. After I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Another one of the gospel says, come with me or meet me in Galilee. I think it's Luke. It says to meet me in Galilee. If you've ever been to Galilee, the region of Galilee is huge. It's like, just take, just, I don't know, just imagine like the capital region. It's much bigger than that. But just think of the capital region and Jesus being like, I'm going to meet you in Albany. Okay. Now Albany, I mean, that could be Clifton Park. That could be Rensselaer. That could be Menanns, that could be Colony, that could be um, New Scotland, I, I, it could be Nassau. Slingerlands, yeah. Where's the Slingerlands? I don't even know. I think you drive through it, right? Um, but, but if we, like, people are like, where are you from and what's your response? Albany. I mean, you could live out in Altamont, right? In the middle of the mountains or whatever they are, foothills. And you're going to say, Albany. Albany is totally different than Altamont, right? I mean, one's got farmland and dairy and horses, and the other's got, um, well, it's Albany. We'll just leave it at that. Jesus says, meet me in Galilee. And his disciples knew exactly where he was talking about. Because in Galilee, right on this mountainside, Jesus looked down at the Sea of Galilee and he walked up to Peter and he said, Peter, cast your nets on the other side. He brought in all these fish and he said, now I'm going to teach you to be a fisher of men. Come and follow me. This place, this mountainside in Galilee is where Jesus' secret place was. This mountainside in Galilee is where Jesus stood up and delivered the greatest sermon of all time. Sermon on the Mount, where we get the Beatitudes from. This uh, mountainside of Galilee is where Jesus can look at the Sea of Galilee and literally see the storm as his disciples were trying to cross the other side before he appeared on the water. And so whenever he said, meet me in Galilee, you know what he was doing? He was bringing it back to where it began, where the gospel was heralded and where his ministry began. Whenever they met back in Galilee, Jesus turned to his disciples in Matthew chapter 18. And this is what he said to them. If we could throw that up. I think I said Matthew 18, Matthew 28, sorry. Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore, and you've heard this. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. He continues teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you till the end of the age. And so not only can we have an eternal perspective, not only can we remain in the presence of God, not only only can we be rooted and grounded in our identity in Jesus Christ but he can take us back to where it all started and use us commission us to go make disciples of all nations so here's what we're going to do as we close out I think about how it all started for me and maybe your story is a little different but most if not all of us in this room we were invited to faith to a church where we found faith by someone who was bold enough to take that step and extend that invite. For me, it was Timmy, and it was David They kept inviting me. Come to church, come to church. What I say? No. But well, after like the seventh time, I finally came to church, and two weeks later, I gave my life to Christ in Viter, Texas at a Waffle House parking lot. It was that invite that led me to finding Jesus. And so what I want to do is, as you guys came in today, you saw these on your chairs. These are invite cards. Scan the QR code. It's going to tell you all about Easter. Invite some people to Easter. Hand them out. Give them to your barista. Leave a $100 tip and leave it there. I'm being serious. If you don't have $100, leave $50, all right? But today I want to do something special is I want to want you to think of three to five people that you know personally, that you can pray for to invite to Easter Sunday. Three to five people. It could be a family member. It could be a coworker. It could be your barista. It could be a neighbor. And what I want you to do is I want you to write your their first name. So please don't put their last name, so if it's Micah, don't put Micah Stockdale, alright? Because if they show up next week, we don't want their name to be like, why, why is my name up there on the board? Oh, it's another Micah Stockdale. Not like there's many in the world, right? Um, and I don't know, I'm just using that as an example. There's a lot of Michael Moores out there, I'll tell you that. So, um, But I'm praying for blank, David. I'm praying for Micah. I'm praying for Becky. I'm praying for Jennifer. And I want you to write just their first name. One on each card. And if you need more cards, we can distribute more cards. If you need a pen, just raise your hand. We can distribute pens. And then the second thing we're going to do is you're going to see that there's a smaller card right here. And this is for you to take home. This is for you to take home and to put on your refrigerator, to put on your makeup mirror, to put on the dashboard of your vehicle, so that every time you see those names, you'll be reminded to pray for these people. You'll be reminded to invite these people and believe for God to transform them in whatever way or whatever capacity it may be. The next week, We're doing a sermon called, I'm teaching a sermon called Prayers That Make You Bleed. And next week, we are corporately going to pray over every one of these cards. And what I'd like you to do is the worship team is gonna come up at this time. And I would like you, as an act of faith, to take these cards and you'll see that Right over here, to my right, your left, there's a beautiful mural with a cross on it. And that cross simply represents the new life and the freedom and the deliverance that Jesus died for. And like an altar, we want you to take the names of these people and go hook it underneath that cross as a sign saying, you're taking this individual, it could be John, it could be Tom, it could be Becky or Jennifer or Susie or whoever, and you're saying, God, I am taking this person and I am surrendering this person to you and I'm gonna commit to pray for them. I'm gonna commit to be bold with my faith and invite them. And I'm gonna commit that when they make that decision to follow you, that I am gonna walk beside them as a brother or a sister in Christ. And so before I pray, I want you to take just a moment. We'll get you guys out of here in about five minutes or so. Take just a moment. I want you to just think. Think about who those individuals are. For me, it's my neighbor. If you would, write down their names. Once you have their names written down, I want to invite you to just stand right where you are. to feel rushed guys so take your time I'm going to pray and as we sing this song I want to invite you to go place them at the foot of the cross our makeshift cross that looks awesome and I want to invite you to enter into a time of worship a time of us coming to the altar and if you need to come to the altar I want to invite you to come to the altar. I want to invite you to lay your burden down. And so, Father, we thank you. God, we thank you for every name that we're writing down. And God, I thank you that you are giving us your power, your boldness to share the good news of Jesus, to be bold in our invite. But Father, I also pray for every individual in here that right now, wherever they may be, God, that you would take our brokenness. You would mold us into being broken vessels that could be used for your glory and for your kingdom. In Jesus' name. As we sing again, if you want to just come up here to the altar, if you need prayer, or if you just want to bow at the altar up here, that's totally fine. We want to create that space be able to do that. But let's sing this song in adoration and in praise to our heaven.